The following sermon is by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we know who we can turn to, who we can look to for victory in this life and the next. God, I pray that you would be with us during the rest of our time today. Just open your word, open our hearts to it, and guide us in it, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to join me in 2 Chronicles 20, Pastor Dan has the day off. I believe he's out on vacation. My name's Chris. I'm one of the elders here, at least until I'm done with this. We'll see how it goes after this. It's up in the air, I suppose. Um, I was asking my son, Silas, I said, hey, how do, you, how do you handle your nerves and your anxiousness when you kind of get oh, man, a little bit scared about things? And he said, oh, I'll mask it with some jokes. I'll mask it with some jokes. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I got a good joke for you, Silas. Tell me what you think. I told him the joke, and he laughed really hard. It, it kind of hurt my feelings. You want to hear the joke? Yeah, okay. It's a bad pun. It's a dad joke, so try not to boo me when I'm done. Uh, I said, hey, uh, I was talking to your mom, my wife Stephanie, and I said, um, you know, Steph, we need to really learn to embrace our, our weaknesses. We need to embrace those things. And she got up and gave me a hug. That is not that funny. <laughs> there you go. Boo, thank you. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Whew. So it's almost like Dan's still here. You get a bad joke. You're welcome. So, Well, today we're going to hang out in Second Chronicles 20, and I'm, I'm so thankful for the song set that Adam put together because, man, does it just line up perfectly with this passage of Scripture. This is, uh, contains one of what many would say is the most notable prayers in Scripture, or one of the most noble prayers in Scripture that has uh, just a lot of good elements to it, and things that we can draw from. And it's about a time where someone's afraid. Their faith, their, their land is under attack. They're scared. The battle is before them. And we're going to see how, how they respond. But let me give you a little backstory first. First off, in chapter 17 of this, we're introduced to King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat is King Asa's son. King Asa was a pretty good king, but he had to step aside. He had some foot disease. So King Jehoshaphat kind of steps in while his dad's still alive and helps take over. And he does a lot of really good things that you'll read about in chapter 17. He will um, put extra forces along the line of the Israel and Judah border. This nation is divided. At the time, the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom is Judah. And so he's going to fortify those cities. So a good military strategy, right? You want to make sure you're sound right on the border where potential attacks could come. The king of Israel at this time is King Ahab. If you know anything about Ahab, one of the worst kings in history, certainly noted in the Bible as one of the worst kings, married to Jezebel, they have a daughter named Athaliah. She'll come into play later. But he also takes down the high places for idolatry and worship. He'll take down the ashram poles as well. So he does all those things. He really draws God's favor, and he's blessed because of it. He gets very wealthy, very wealthy. His military force just grows and grows. A lot of um, what you'd call valiant warriors are part of his military crew. And then he also has uh, what you would find is the fear was on the land all around Judah at that time, meaning no one is willing to go and mess with Judah. No one. Chapter 18, 
a little bit of a kink in the armor. Jehoshaphat's faith, his, his life does a little bit of this. I think many of us can probably relate. But in chapter 18, he compromises his beliefs. He wants to see unity between the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so he makes some alliance with King Ahab. And he has King Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, marry his son. This is unequally yoked, so to speak. You have a kingdom that fears God and one that doesn't, and yet you're trying to merge the two. Disaster strikes, of course. So Athaliah marries his son, and then he also agrees to go to war with King Ahab against Syria, which has devastating results. They lose, but King Ahab is also shot and killed by a random arrow during that time, which we know there's no such thing as random. Ahab eventually dies. Jehoshaphat, after the battle, is heading back home, and Jehu, one of the prophets, meet him and just tears him up. What are you doing? You shouldn't be living like this. You shouldn't be compromising your beliefs. This doesn't please the Lord. Chapter 19, we kind of go back on the upswing. In chapter 17, you'll read, he puts Levites out in the land to teach the law. In chapter 19, he's going to put judges in place to enforce the law, but also gives them specific guidelines by which to rule the land. And if you go through it and look at those guidelines were, they're very essential for any type of spiritual leadership. So take a minute when you get time and check out those chapters. Then we head to chapter 20, and you're going to see that enemies are going to rise up to overthrow King Jehoshaphat in Judah puts them in what he calls a powerless situation. Have you ever felt powerless before? Like there's truly nothing in your control. You can do zilch about the situation. It's very humbling. Very humbling. If you have any life behind you, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about and have your own illustrations that you could use. We're going to see in chapter 20 how... He responds, and we're going to see how God delivers. Beginning of 1943, oh, went through that. By the way, I hate PowerPoint, so forgive me. 1943, um, Winston Churchill was asked how he would describe World War II. And he said, storm and ruin. They were not in a good place, did not like, look like it was going to go well for the Allies. Storm and ruin. And I feel like there are times in our own lives, we go through seasons that feel like it is storm and ruin. You get through a period of time and you look back, like, what, what just happened? What's going on? This is crazy. And if any of you know my wife and I, you know that we've felt probably for the last three and a half years, <laughs> we've gone through some storm and ruin. In October of, <clears throat> excuse me, in October of 2019, Stephanie's mom passed away from pancreatic cancer. 45 days later, her sister comes up in the middle of the night and finds her dad passed away. Heart failure. That was tough. We lost several animals along the way, tragically, sadly. And then last week, Dan was talking about how, you know, in a year from now, you may not know what life will look like. And he's not wrong. May 13th, 2022, I get a phone call about 8 o'clock at night, that my mom was having a heart attack. So, raced over to my dad's, um, was there as the paramedics were there. They worked on her for about an hour and a half. Got her to Lakeland Hospital, barely, barely responding. And then they take her up to Lakeland in St. Joe, where she eventually passes away. Four and a half hours, that quick. 
Storm and ruin. That will put your faith to the test. That will put your faith to the test. That, those are all, for us, powerless situations. And I'm so thankful for the songs we sang, because, man, I'm glad I don't have to take responsibility for the battle. I know who to turn it over to. And we're going to watch him work, and we're going to watch him deliver in this life or the next. And to God be the glory for it. Let's jump in to uh, 2 Chronicles 20. We'll start with verses 1 through 4. It says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. I'm, I'm thankful that he said he's afraid. That makes me feel like he's human. That's a very human response. He's afraid. He doesn't walk on water. Only one person does that. But he's afraid. You know, I think of the story of, um, of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And if you might remember, there's a passage in Ruth chapter 1. Naomi says, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. What does she mean by that? Well, if you know the story of Naomi, they left Bethlehem, she and her husband and her two sons, during a time of famine. They leave Bethlehem, they go to the land of Moab, and there her two sons married to Moabite women. Over some time, her husband dies, and then her two sons die. And then she and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, come back to Bethlehem. And as she's walking around the town, the women are saying, hey, isn't that Naomi? And this is her response. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi, if you don't know, means pleasant. Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. We see this passage in Second uh, Chronicles 21 through 4. Jehoshaphat was afraid, but what did he do with it? How did he respond? We'll look at that. What enemies do you face? What enemies do you come up against that you are completely powerless against? I gave you the example of my mom and her physical health. We have mental health is a problem. Many feel that's not controllable. There's a pastor in Texas named Bo Hughes, and he was diagnosed with clinical depression at age three. From the time he was four, he was on antidepressants. He got really sick and tired of being labeled as clinically depressed. When he was a freshman in college, he became saved. He got married. He went into the pastorate. At age 28, he decided to go off his medication. He was going to go through biblical counseling, try and get away from the meds. And when he did, he reverted to the emotional intelligence of an eight-year-old. What about spiritual health? feeling of loneliness, not even feeling or sensing God's presence in any way in your life. Many don't know, but Mother Teresa passed away in 1994, and in her journal, she wrote many times about how for 50 years, she did not sense God's presence working in her life. Not even that he was silent, he just wasn't there. 50 years. You could have relational enemies. It could be your spouse, could be an ex, could be a child, could be a parent, co-workers. Lots of different examples for that. So what we read here 
in chapter 20, you have the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. The Ammonites and Moabites, these are the people from Lot's line. The Edomites are from Esau. And they're going to team up. They're going to come around the Dead Sea from the southern tip. They're going to get more than halfway to Jerusalem in the land of Judah before they are tracked down. I don't know about you, but we may want to put a little more military force on that side, raise the flag a little bit higher, like, hey, we, we have a problem here. They're almost there. And what you might not, not know is on the right you have the Dead Sea, but on the left they can get in that far before they're detected because of a natural boundary. You have a nice mountain range that's there that protects them. People aren't seeing them because they're hidden between the Dead Sea and this mountain range. This is actually a modern-day Engedi National Park in Israel. I'm pretty sure they only have one working sprinkler head down the lower right-hand corner. You have like a 10 by 10 patch of grass. That's it. But the rest of it, not so much. But that is what they're sneaking in through, undetected. How do we respond when our enemies come up against us? We know he was afraid, which I'm thankful for. But what do we do with that fear? Do we turn to the Lord or do we run away from him? He turned his face to seek the Lord. I also appreciate he led by example. He pulls the nation together because this is a national problem. It's not just his problem. He's not the only one who's going to die in this. It is a national problem. He led by example. He got them all there. He had women, children, the men. How do you respond when this happens? Sometimes I think we, we tend to keep our problems to ourselves. Ah, I don't want to be a bother. I can't tell how many times my parents would tell me that. At one point in time, my mom went to a doctor's appointment. I think it was in February or March a few years ago, and they found a lump. Um, and so it was about a week before Mother's Day, and uh, we weren't going to be able to join them for a Mother's Day dinner. And so she's like, well, just so you know, I was going to make a big deal out of it, but you know, they found a lump. I was going to tell you guys at Mother's Day dinner. I'm like, oh, that sounds like it would have been an exciting time to tell us. Terrible news. Like, Mom, why wouldn't you tell me sooner? You should have told me before. I could have been praying for you. I didn't want to be a bother. I didn't want to be a burden. Not that any of you would ever say that to your kids. I said, Mom, I can pray for you. It's okay. Ah, you got enough going on. I said, I tell you what, I know you're busy too, so I don't want to bother you with the burden of your grandchildren. So if they have any medical issues, I'm just not going to be able to tell you because I, I don't want to put that on you. What? You can't do that. That fixed the problem pretty quick. Um, from then on, I kind of had a typed out medical history. I was ready to, ready to roll, ready to roll. Let's look at Jehoshaphat's appeals that he's going to make in verses 5 through 13. You're going to notice that he's going to appeal to the promises God has made. He's going to appeal to God's glory, and he's going to appeal to God's reputation. Because you need to remember, this is God's people in Judah. The surrounding nations know this. So what are they going to think if Judah's defeated? <laughs> Puny God. What can he do? We just totally took him out. So God's reputation is on the line. Let's keep reading. We're going to read verses 5 through 13. It says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. And they have lived in it, and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, and famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. 
and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O God, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Let's look at a few things regarding his prayer. One, he touches on in verse 6, is God's sovereignty. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Who does he rule over? Just Judah? He rules over all the nations. I've got news for you, church. He doesn't rule just over you. He rules over your enemies. Do you think about that? He rules over your enemies. He controls them. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. That's what Jehoshaphat's calling out here. In verse 7, he's going to touch on the covenant that God made with Abraham. I'm thankful for God's promises. There's many throughout Scripture. We'll even touch on a few of them here in a second. He talks about God's presence and how he is there with them. And he talks about God's goodness in verse 10. He starts going into this idea of, hey, we could have taken them out when we came out of Egypt. And if you read Deuteronomy chapter 2, the first nine verses, you're going to see how God told Moses, leave the people of Edom alone. I gave that to Esau and his descendants. Leave Moab alone. I gave that to Lot and his descendants. So they had a chance to go in and take them out. God said, don't do that. This is their territory. Well, why? Just so they can come up? This is how they're going to reward us? By coming out to drive us out of what you gave us? That doesn't make any sense. So Jehoshaphat says that. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord in verse 13 with their little ones, their wives and their children. I, th I think there's a pause here, by the way, and I don't know how you do about this, but Typically, when I come up against uh, a battle or some kind of affliction, I'm quick to pray, but I am quick to respond, and I am slow to wait. There ain't a whole lot of waiting when I'm praying. I'm praying, and I'm moving on. I would have prayed this prayer, and like, okay, military battalion A, you're over here. You guys do this. You guys do that. Get the troops where they're supposed to go, because obviously I know, I know best. We need to wait. We need to learn to wait for the Lord to reply. Let's keep going. This says to 17. We're actually going to go to 20, uh, 23. We're just going to knock this out. We're going to do this. Here we go. Uh, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jerul, and you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were going to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made the end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. During these afflictions that we come up against where we feel powerless, I think that's when we're really going to see what our faith is made of. We'll see how firm a foundation we really have and where we're going to turn. He turned his face to see the Lord. He led by example, and he put it in God's hands. That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. But the Lord responded and gave him the message of stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Wow, that had to be awesome. That had to be so encouraging. What do they do as soon as they get the message? They praise the Lord. They stop and they worship. By the way, they didn't win yet. They worshiped before the battle was over. Do you notice that? I think that's something I probably struggle with when I come up against hard times, when I come up against affliction in my life. Even in the midst of the affliction, I need to praise God. And I struggle with that. I struggle with that. That's a hard one. I want to praise him for deliverance. I don't necessarily want to praise him for the battle. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, friends, the work that God will do in that battle in your life is going to be transformative. You won't know it when you're going through it, but it will be transformative. I guarantee you. You cannot come out of that unscathed. I think the other thing I really like about this passage, aside from that, is not only if you keep reading further down the road here, when they go in, they get all the material after all these guys have died and killed themselves. They're able to go in, they get all the goods, they take them out, and they spend time to worship again. So they got worship before, during, and after. I think of uh, Acts 15, or excuse me, Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. And they're preaching and teaching the word of the Lord. And they come under attack and they're beaten to a pulp and they're thrown in jail. Not just jail, but the inner jail cells, which have special stocks for your feet. And they, you may not know this. I only know this because I researched it. But they put your feet in these stocks that are made to keep your feet far apart to induce cramping. So not only are you just in jail, miserable, but now you're in pain on and off. And you can't stand, what do you do when you get a cramp? You got to stand up and loosen it up. Somebody come alongside and punch you right in the thigh. I always volunteer for that position. Nobody ever takes me up on it. But you got to loosen it up and you can't do that. You're in just a constant state of pain. But they sing. They sing praises around midnight. What happens? The shackles fall off. The doors open. The jailer, about to kill himself, they stop him from doing that. And what happens? He takes him home, cleans him up, they end up leading he and his family to the Lord and baptizing them. I think one other element of uh, the battles that we may not realize as we're going through it is that we, we do need to realize people are watching. Our testimony is on the line when we go through these battles. Our faith is going to be evident. Our faith is going to be put out front. Will our actions match what we're saying we believe? 
Are they going to align or not? It's, it's a challenge. And we will falter. Well, I falter. But how are we going to respond? How are we going to bounce back? You know, a few promises that are laid out in the Bible that I, again, we skipped that, that I enjoy, that I call on, that I draw on. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The one caveat that I, I don't like, but I, I understand, that word good, that's not how Chris Graham defines good. I wish it was, but it's not. It's how God defines good. From his heavenly perspective, this is what is good. And sometimes that can be a challenge for me. But if my faith is aligned, if I'm walking with him, I will see that. And I can draw on that promise that in the end, it is for his good. One of the other ones I enjoy is Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So you have a couple in here. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Wow. I'm so thankful for that. That is awesome. That is so encouraging. Some people ask me sometimes, hey, you know, through those hardships that your family have gone through for the last three and a half years or so, how did you see God in those things? We talk about God being good. How did God deliver in that? I'll tell you a couple things. First off, I want to say if you're not looking for God in your battle, you're, you're not going to see him. If you're not listening for God, you're not going to hear him. I think it's another important reason to have godly people around you. You know, Jehoshaphat called on the nation of Israel to respond. They did. Who are you calling on to respond? Don't keep these things to yourself. Bring them to your small group. Bring them to your elders. Bring them to your pastors. Bring them to people who are in the word, who have a faithful walk that you can rely on, who can pray for you and lift you up and encourage you and maybe even help point out a few things during your own battle. Because I think oftentimes it's easy to miss when something's happening, but then we'll get through it and we'll look back and, oh, I didn't, even, I didn't even see God doing that. That's incredible. And you just feel so much more encouraged to know that his hand was in it. So how did I see God moving during my mom's passing, for example? I would say there's a few things uh, that came out of it. Um, one, I was there in about 10 minutes uh, to my parents' house, but there were already a couple of volunteer firemen there because they have neighbors who are volunteer firemen. So thankful for that. Two, I'd say the timing. We just put our kids to bed. I left my phone upstairs, and as soon as I sat down, my phone started ringing. If it was 30 seconds earlier, I wouldn't have got it at all. I wouldn't have seen it. So I would have missed that. I'd say mom wasn't in physical pain. That's a blessing, for sure. Mom's in heaven. That's a blessing. We were faced with a pretty um, difficult decision. During this whole thing, we were up at Lakeland and St. Joe, and uh, the doctor came in and they told us, hey, just so you know, this is going to be a hard conversation. Mom was without oxygen for 20 minutes. So if mom survives, she's not going to be the same woman. You got a 90% chance she's brain dead. So would you like to make her comfortable until she passes? or try and go forward with surgery. 
and see if we can remove the blood clot in her heart. But after you get that dealt with, you also have a blood clot in her lungs that we have to deal with. I can tell you that is not a conversation I would wish upon anybody to have with their parents. My dad, married to my mom for 41 years, has to make that call. What do you want to do? You can imagine the turmoil. Just the angst in his own mind of, I don't want to have any regrets. What if, what if we don't do it and she would have been okay? What if we do it and she dies on the table? What if? Well, as we were having that conversation, mom had her second heart attack and she died. This might sound callous, but I'm going to let you know, I thank God for that. I thank God for that. That's an answer to prayer. During this whole time, I'm texting back and forth with the elders of this church, godly believers that I work with. Man, I'm just asking for prayer. Dan came and visited us at Lakeland and Isles. So thankful for him. So thankful for Josh. Just a friendship. That was a long night. That was a long four and a half hours. But I could see God moving. On the way home, on the way home from Lakeland after she passed, my dad and I are even talking about it. It's like, man, I'm so thankful that God answered. I'm so thankful that we didn't have to make the decision. Praise God. Praise God. What about um, Mother Teresa and the situation she found herself in? Those close to her said that she got, as she got closer to death, she realized that God was there. But he was just quiet. And that brought her some comfort. You know, she thought she was really living in darkness with lacking God's presence and that she was a hypocrite. But she was so thankful that in the end she realized he was there the entire time. And I'm telling you guys, he's here with you the entire time. That pastor who decided to stop taking his medication went back to acting like an eight-year-old. He's getting better, by the way. He did say that he discovered through his challenge that the Lord was not as intent on taking away the pain as he was on teaching him to trust God through it. Did you hear that? He's not as intent on taking away our pain as he is on making sure we learn through it. We learn to trust him. We build our faith through those times. We had our marriage conference last weekend. It was, we had a great time. We learned a lot. It was very helpful. Uh, it was great to get to socialize with a lot of our friends there. And there's a quote, and if you were there, you probably remember this. They said, God will not protect us from what he will perfect us through. God will not protect us from what he will perfect us through. I don't know what God's perfecting you through right now. I don't. Where do you turn when things get rough? Where do you turn in your moment of affliction? Do you turn to seek the Lord? Do you go out? Do you try and ask yourself in there, where is God in the midst of this? If you don't, find people who can do that with you. Find people who can do that with you. How about the fact we need to worship throughout it? through the good times and the bad, worship throughout it. Turn to your knowledge of God. Turn to your knowledge of who he is. If it's not very strong, if you don't have a good foundation, work on it. 
Get in it. We're in a battle, folks, and we need to arm ourselves, and we arm it with the truth of his word, our faith, our trust in him, surrounding ourselves with believers who can sharpen us, who can make us better and grow us towards him. And he's going to do it through challenging times as well. Through challenging times as well. Don't suffer in silence. I think back to that passage in Ruth with Naomi. She referred to God as Almighty. Did you catch that in that verse? She referred to God as Almighty. The Almighty has dealt harshly with me. If you look at the original translation, that word is Shaddai. Isn't that an Amy Grant song? El Shaddai, is that right? You've got to tune that out. Maybe later special music? Nope. Okay. All right. By the way, if you would have zinged me this morning, I had a good one about worship leaders in here, but I'm well done. I knew I could count on you. Yeah, it's all right. I'll tell you that later. But Shaddai, there's a uh, Irish biblical theologian who says, that seems really weird to say, by the way, he's Irish and he's a biblical theologian. You usually don't hear that, but he is. Uh, he wrote a book called The Scenic Route Through the Old Testament, and he said that Shaddai, it's the characteristic of God that means he's at his best when we are at our worst. Naomi had gone through famine. She had gone through loss, bereavement, doubts, goodbyes. But because she knew God as Shaddai, as Almighty, she could leave the explanation and the responsibility for such bitter trials with him. That's freeing. I don't know what to tell you, but that is freeing. And there is joy in that. When she left Bethlehem, there was famine. When she returned, it was a season of harvest. Sometimes even these difficult afflictions that we face provide new opportunities, a fresh start in a lot of ways. Dan mentioned last week uh, the importance of our faith in it not being just a Sunday thing, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like pie. The uh, Dutch caramel apple from Perkins, not that I know it by name or how much it costs with tax, but it's really good. Uh, but if you think of life as a pie, and I go to a lot of meetings with pie charts, so it's not helpful either. <laughs> but our faith shouldn't be a slice. Our faith should be the crust. It's the foundation. If you don't have a good crust, bakers, what do you got? You got a mess. You got a mess. And there's nothing better than a good graham cracker crust. I'm going to let you know. <laughs> but you need a good foundation for all of life. And that should be found in his word. That is our faith in action when we see it. If we walk through our prayer similar to how Jehoshaphat did in terms of calling out God's sovereignty, remembering he reigns over your enemies, just like he reigns over mine and my own heart, remembering his promises, his presence, his goodness, that you are his possession and that we are totally dependent on him. I think oftentimes we're scared and we think, man, we are so inadequate. We are so inadequate when we are faced with trials of many kinds. We are so weak. What does Paul say? When I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because we know where we need to turn, and it's to God, and that is who is going to give us that strength. He will deliver us in this life or the next. He will deliver. And that, friends, should be comforting to us. We all want to be seen as successful, as capable achievers who've got all the answers. But when we totally rely on God, he is truly enough. He is truly enough. 
turn our knowledge to God and who he is and be confident that he will deliver. I'm going to ask Mr. Adam to come back up and lead us in worship again. If you remember Battle Belongs and the lyrics to it, you might have a guess as far as where Phil Wickham was inspired by that song. It was in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you go on YouTube, you can actually find a video of him talking about this passage and what it meant to him. And because of that inspiration, he came out with this song, and we're so thankful for that. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this account of Jehoshaphat. I'm so thankful for his humanity in the story, how he had many ups and downs throughout life. It just makes him that much more relatable. I'm thankful for the example of his prayer, for his faith in your deliverance. May we turn to you in the same way he did, in that lowly, humble state, recalling your sovereignty, your promises, your presence, and your goodness, and that we are your possession. May we embrace our inadequacies and our weaknesses and not run from them or hide them. I ask God that we would turn to you, our almighty God, for deliverance and strength. God, help us to look for you moving in the midst of our battles and listen for your calling. May it grow our faith and our trust in you even more. Father, I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Today's message was brought to you by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.